Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It is the 25th of January, 2023. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. We're going to say thank you, thank you, thank you for including me in your day. It's it's such an honor. Um, I appreciate your time. So um, thank you. What are we doing right now? Like, you know, are we out for a walk? Are we having a cup of coffee? Are we watching the sunrise? Are we still like tucked into our snuggly spot? And, you know, now you're giggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see you out there. I mean, I don't actually see you out there, but yeah. Um, today's growing your faith verse of the day, John sixteen thirty three. So Jesus is the speaker here, which matters because this is a passage that starts with the word I. And you're saying to yourself, if something starts with the word I, I ought to know the person who is speaking. Well, that person is Jesus. So here goes. Jesus says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So Jesus is speaking here and we are in the 16th chapter of the gospel according to John. So we are midway into what we would call the passion narrative, where John is unfolding the events of Jesus's life uh, in the very last week. So that's the context of what's happening here. Um, Jesus is speaking. The cross is definitely in view for him. Um, And so the all this to which Jesus is referring is the all this that has uh, come before in not only these chapters of John, but, you know, John's the one who tells us, hey, if if everything that Jesus had ever said and done was actually written down, the world wouldn't be able to contain the books that would have to be written. And so when Jesus is saying to his disciples, uh, I have told you all this, the all this is a, is a massive quantity of stuff. And what was Jesus's purpose in telling them all this so that they might have peace? in him. Do you have peace today? Are you listening to Jesus? Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. My guess is, like me, you have a list. Trials and sorrows. My guess is that the substance of many of your conversations and your worries and your prayers are about trials and sorrows. Jesus says, here on earth, We will have many of them. And then he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What does that mean? What does that mean? First of all, let's talk about taking heart. What does it mean to take heart? It means to be encouraged, to take hold of a more optimistic and hopeful view, um, to let go of your worry, your frustration, your anxiety, and your fear, and to take heart. Now, for just a moment, I want you to focus on 
what fills your heart, what you're holding in your heart, the concerns with which your heart is taken up. And in all likelihood, the what in your heart is a who. So who are you holding in your heart right now that causes you worry, frustration, anxiety, fear? Now for just a moment, consider allowing Jesus to inhabit that space. Same heart, same space. Take Jesus into that place in your heart and allow him to overcome the worry, the frustration, the anger, the anxiety, the fear with peace. Perfect peace. Take Jesus to heart. Take a deep breath and take Jesus to heart. Jesus overcomes the world one human heart at a time. And so have you allowed him to overcome your heart yet? I'm hoping that today would be the day that peace might reign, that the Prince of Peace might fill your life with the peace that passes all understanding. And you're right. You're right. It will, in all likelihood, not change the circumstances that you're experiencing, the trials and the sorrows. Jesus is the one who says, confirms, we're going to have lots of them. But even in the midst of them, we take him to heart because he has overcome the world one human heart at a time. You become a person of peace, possessed by the spirit of peace, sowing peace. And through trials and sorrows, though they yet come, they no longer have the power to overwhelm us. Because we're buoyed from the inside, from the depths, by the spirit of the one who has endured it all in order that you might experience peace with God, peace with yourself, peace of mind, peace with others. Peace, peace, peace. Don't you want some peace today? Allow Jesus to overcome your heart. Take Jesus to heart. And though on earth you will still have many trials and sorrows, you will walk through them as Jesus did, as a person of peace, overcoming the world and its ways by love. What happens next? What happens next in the Christian life after we have received Christ, after we have enthroned him in our hearts by faith? Well, that journey is called discipleship. We're going to talk a little bit about what discipleship means and what disciples do day in and day out. That question next with Jeff Bilbro. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. As the earth brings forth sprouts from the sea, what is sown in the garden grows into a mighty tree. Jeff Bilbro is joining us now. Uh, he's a professor at Grove City College. He also um, is an editor and contributor at Front Porch Republic. Hey, Jeff. Good morning. Welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Let's talk about learning. Let's talk about discipleship this morning. Um, you and I have both read really a quite delightful piece um, posted at frontporchrepublic.com entitled, In Schooling as in Life, More Than Enough is Too Much. What's uh, Dixie Dillon Lane um, saying here? 
Yeah, I think this is a good essay about uh, teaching uh, on the surface, but then as, as you point out, also about discipleship and uh, kind of the, the process of, of spiritual or personal growth more broadly. She draws this example from her from, from being a homeschooling mom and feeling like she has to find the right curriculum and the right uh, tools to help her kids learn. She has to have more activities and more more things. Right. There's always uh, more products that are being advertised that will help your kids learn or whatever. And um, that kind of mindset led her to overlook the value of less organized things like her kids' interest in putting together this um, <clears throat> this newspaper where they wrote all the articles and edited them and laid it out and printed it and, and distributed it to their, their neighbors and family. And I think that, that idea that sometimes less is more and sometimes we don't need the right product or the right, you know, person or this idea, this new thing, <clears throat> but what we need is to, uh, to turn to what what is capturing our interest right now and see how we might be more intentional about it and might um, kind of engage those activities in ways that, um, yeah, that promote spiritual or intellectual or personal growth. When you think about um, the things that you spend time doing that are uh, like informally, they are discipleship, informally they are education, like what makes that list for you? Well, for me, in the context of being a teacher, I think uh, it's it's the kinds of conversations with students that happen over meals or in my office hours or when we bump into each other, you know, versus what happens in the classroom or in the formal, what's on the syllabus. And yeah, I'm convinced that it's those kind of extracurricular conversations that um, where students are more engaged. Uh, it, it's a we're coming to 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 the conversation as full persons rather than just kind of confined by the professional relationship. And I think that's where real growth often happens. So it's not that the formal stuff is bad, but uh, it's just incomplete. Jeff, um, I want to pop over and have a conversation about um, chat GPT or chat bots and what it looks like to center ourselves and um, and what it might mean to center all of us in an age of chatbot technology. We will return to that conversation with Jeff DeBilbro in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Maybe you're thinking in this new year you'd like to change the world. Well, you can start by changing the world for one child. We're partnering with One Child Again, and you can sponsor a child now at MyFaithRadio.com. What happens when you sponsor a child through One Child? Well, you're going to be linked to a boy or a girl who lives in a country other than your own, uh, and you're going to help supply for their tangible needs. Yes, they're going to receive the gospel of Jesus, but they're also going to receive educational assistance, supplemental food, clothing, healthcare services, and opportunities for love, friendship, and encouragement. The cost is just $39 a month, and you can sponsor a child right now at MyFaithRadio.com. So if you want to change the world this year, why don't you start by changing the world for one child? Sponsor a child today at MyFaithRadio.com. I'm not just hoping, I'm not just wishing, I know I'm praying to a God who listens. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So begins the Gospel of John. Um, so also begins uh, an article on FrontPorchRepublic.com entitled, Centering Humanity in the Age of the Chatbot. It's by Matthew Smith. We're discussing it now with Jeff Bilbro from Grove City College. Jeff, um, what is the... Uh, what is the issue Matthew is addressing and what's the argument he's making? Yeah, I think a lot of people now have seen and maybe played with this new technology, ChatGPT, and the kind of AI writing that it and other tools now can generate. Uh, because it's kind of impressive, you know, what, what the, the appearance of thought, the appearance of communication that, that these technologies can produce. Uh, you know, someone who teaches writing, it's something I think about a lot, right? The, the temptation that these will pose to my students. And I worry, you know, part of my worry is that this is just one more iteration of the kind of whole ecosystem we're building that offers all kinds of temptations um, to provide, in this case, the content or the appearance of thought. In other cases, uh, the kind of the, the appearance of relationship, connection, through various kinds of social media, with, but without the, the work that thought or relationship requires, and hence without the, the rewards as well. Um, and, and so, yeah, by, by focusing on that opening to the Gospel of John, I think Matthew points out how words ultimately should serve relationships, relationships um, within God, right? the triune relationships uh, between God and creation, between God and us, and then um, amongst humans. And if we lose that kind of relational orientation to language, then we reduce it to, to just content that we want to churn out as quickly as possible. I think differentiating um, words um, from just words or what's more than words and then the word with capital yeah. letters and yep. focusing on the relational nature of it um, that would be like such a beneficial practice uh, for each and every one of us in kind of every conversation today. Like, listen today to the words or read the words and then ask yourself, look, is this just, you know, because somebody had to get 600 or 800 or 1,000 words into a blog or onto a page or into an article? Like, what's going on here? Um, yeah. Are these just words or are there more than words here? Um, what does the what would the word of God have to say about these words that I'm reading? Um, and then what's the relational step? Like, right? I think yep. that using whatever the words are um, as a, a step into relationships um, is a uh, maybe a good discipleship move. You know, after we consider this conversation about you know centering ourselves. Um, not on just words, whatever the words are, but like on the word of God, on the person who is the word made flesh to dwell among us, like the relational reality of the word here is um, is the point of it all. It's the point of the exercise. Yeah, I think that's such a great question to ask. And um, it, it also foregrounds our own appetite sometimes just for uh, entertainment or distraction or something to kind of... Um, busy our minds with, right? We, we have an appetite for kind of mindless content and, and that appetite itself is complicit in uh, its production. So, you know, if we can foreground and seek out genuine relationships with other people, and of course with the word capital W, um, then that's maybe the best response. 
Okay. Um, I want to um, do something different than you and I ordinarily do. So this sure. is uh, my friend, Jeff Bilbro, um, and he's going to bring the mind of Christ to bear on a couple of headlines. Some of these headlines he hasn't heard yet. <laughs> Here you go. Aretha Franklin has a song entitled Natural Woman. Um, now, I don't know. Maybe it shouldn't be a surprise to me that that is now in the crosshairs of some trans activists. But um, this is, seems like a cultural moment in which Christians need to do more than roll our eyes. Yeah, and I think this is actually reminding me, I just saw friends some friends at Wheaton College put together a symposium just this January on, uh, you know, what is masculinity and what is femininity. And these are such uh, important foundational questions, and it's hard even to, to talk about them sometimes in our culture. Right? Even language that seems pretty innocuous or language you could take for granted can get challenged. But uh, yeah, I think it's, it's important to not shy away from the issue but to try to uh, talk about these definitions in ways that are, uh, I guess, courageous, but also, um, you know, not combative, but but just seeking after the truth. Yeah, I was thinking here um, also, like, we had a recent conversation um, with Brant Hansen about being unoffendable. Yeah. Um, and this sort of falls into that category for me. Like, I, there's yeah. so much music, uh, Jeff, that I find objectionable and offensive. I mean, if I tried to start some kind of movement, every time I heard something um, in music that was objectionable to me, I mean, right. I, that'd be it. I would just consume my life. So, yeah. um, so what does it look like to be unoffendable, to let people sing the things that they're singing, and and, you know, to curate your own list? And you actually have helped us think about that in the past. And so I wonder if maybe we could bring that to the fore here briefly as well, like curating your reading list, curating who you're listening to. Um, how, how do you go about that? Uh, you know, being sure that you're read in on the things you need to be read in on, but also like listening to the right voices. Yeah, I, mean, I think your point about music is, is right there in that uh, it's kind of pointless for me to to listen to to music or read articles that are, I know are going to just push my buttons and make me um, frustrated and draw out the kind of theological or Christian critique. Um, you know, we should seek out the things that are uh, true and noble and honorable, whatever is praiseworthy, and think about those things. So th there are sometimes a place to obviously engage and listen to, to voices that we disagree with, uh, but not not just in the sense of like bombarding ourselves with um, that, which is offensive. So if, yeah, if, if we are always finding ourselves uh, offended or angry or outraged, maybe that's partly a symptom of um, the, the, that we're filling our minds and souls with things that uh, we shouldn't be filling them with. Okay. And now here's a headline um, that uh surprised me at one level and then after I thought about it was no surprise at all. Nancy Pelosi had priests come to her home in San Francisco and perform an exorcism of the house after the um, attack on her husband. Um, so uh, Catholic priests came to the Pelosi home over Thanksgiving weekend uh, in, um, you know, in an effort to rid the home of the spiritual influences um, that would have 
motivated a violent attacker to to enter there and um, and do harm to her husband. Um, and he was certainly seeking her as well. This is a spiritual, like a a completely spiritual headline in a completely secular environment. Can you just talk about yeah. us about talk with us about maybe the opportunity this presents? Yeah, I hadn't seen that. So fascinating. It reminds me of this point in uh, Charles Taylor's book, The Secular Age, and he talks about, like you said, that the sort of secular age we live in, where that kind of thing just kind of falls outside of our uh, expectations, our imaginations. And yet for most of human history, that would make total sense. And so if, if we think that's absurd, maybe it's a symptom that um, that kind of even without intentionally doing so, we are inhabiting a, a secular frame of reference that kind of excludes the principalities and powers of this world. Um, it, 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 Taylor also points out that uh, if we actually believe in ghosts or demons or these kind of spiritual forces, then um, then we wouldn't kind of consume entertainment or, or films about them uh, because we would take them more seriously. And I think, yeah, if nothing else that that act indicates a kind of um, uh, faith in a spiritual reality. Yeah, I, I think that um, I, th- I think it actually gives us some pretty significant insight into uh, what, you know, the former Speaker of the House, um, like the depth of her yeah. spiritual acknowledgement. Anyway, I just thought that it was one of those headlines worth so surfacing because we will not see it covered in any secular media. Like nobody's going to be talking about this. And so if you want the link to the article, it's going to be in the show notes today. You can always get um, not only links to what we talk about, but the people we talk with in the show notes. So if you subscribe to the podcast, Mornings with Carmen, um, or visit us later today at MyFaithRadio.com, you can get the show notes. Um, Jeff, as always, thank you so much. We did not have time to talk about the M&M's spokes candy controversy. So you'll have to, um, yeah, you'll have to take that up with others. Yeah. All I will say well, is you, gr- green M&Ms are apparently on their way out for <laughs> indescribable reasons. All right. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. That was Jeff Bilbro. You can connect with him at Grove City College or at Front Porch Republic or at jeffbilbro.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, now everybody wants to know uh, what the controversy is about the M and M's. It'll be in the show notes today. But basically, um, Mars Wrigley, the maker of the colorful chocolate candies known as M and M's, has pulled the M and M's spokes candy mascots, specifically sexy green M and M and her um, feminist sneaker wearing counterpart. Um, they have been uh, pulled. Instead, M and M's is now going to be represented by a real-life person named Maya Rudolph. That's what I have for you on that today. Um, All right, um, in more, much more serious uh, news, Religion News uh, is reporting that two years after um, we have all begun to recognize the uh, genocide of the Uyghurs underway in Western China, um, time time is really running out, and yet... Um, very little attention. I don't know if you've noticed this, but like very little attention 
um, is being paid to uh, the Uyghur crisis, even even in conversations that center on China and all that's going on in China, um, it, it it has not moved the needle um, in terms of what's happening to the Uyghurs. And so um, let's be <clears throat> let's be praying for people in captivity of all kinds today. Um, most of us are praying for people who are held captive by false ideas, by wrong thinking, by addiction, uh, by depression. Um, and we we pray in the midst of each and every one of those situations. There are people whose families have literally been separated and who are literally in um, bondage today, in prison today, in captivity today, not just because of bad ideas and wrong thinking, but because of actual physical imprisonment. And so the Uyghur population, um, you know, if you think about how much your kids learn in two years, I want you to imagine that for two years, um, your kids have been in the custody of the government and 24-7 being reprogrammed. That's what's happening to the Uyghurs. Um, and so I just wanted to lift up that story and remind us of that today. Ruth Kramer is going to join us next from Mission Network News. We're going to look at some other headlines from around the globe. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Well, joining us again today, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find what we're talking about at missionnews.org. Ruth, welcome back. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Uh, let's um, let's spin the globe and let's stop in Lebanon. Um, this is really like a tragic development. Um, Lebanon is considering blocking aid to Syrian refugees within their borders um, from any uh, but government organizations. Uh, tell, tell us this story. I think this is a political move that's really meant to answer the shortage of resources that the companies uh, that the the country is struggling with right now. Um, a related story is the concern for not having the money to purchase the fuel that the country needs to keep the electricity going twenty four seven. You know, we had another story that was talking about uh, the risk of being in total blackout, and then the government uh, agreed to take on a hundred and sixteen million dollar loan just to put a few extra hours of electricity. Uh, on the grid for the next you know couple of weeks, um, and we're talking weeks, not months down the line. When you're talking 116 million dollar loan, you'd hope that would it would go further um, than just a, a few weeks. So this all plays into the crisis that Lebanon is facing: the economic crisis, the social crisis, um, the governmental crisis, um, where really very little can be happening, and the um, caretaker government is trying to answer some of the demands uh, that are being made by the constituency, the people, on how are you going to fix this better than the way you're handling it right now. And the government's response is looking to um, in, in basically employ austerity measures and cut back on the aid that they're giving uh, right now, because they're basically saying that the resources need to go to support Lebanese. So mm-hmm. for the organizations that are approved by the government to 
give humanitarian aid, they have to also show that they are helping Lebanese. This was something we saw, too, with uh, employment issues where um, the employment new hires had to be capped. Uh, I think it was um, one one Syrian refugee could be hired to every three Lebanese that were employed. So it was something where the the ratio was supposed to be something that was helping the Lebanese uh, in a time of crisis you know, with re- the resources that are very limited. Um, the the backstory with this situation in, in Lebanon is that there are still hard feelings from the Syrian invasion. Um, we're talking not even a generation ago where Syria um, invaded Lebanon. There were high casualties in the war that was that was part of that. And there were there was basically no family that was left untouched by that situation. So there were hard feelings against the Syrians. And not even 10 years after this is over, uh, Syria has a civil war. And now you have Syrians flooding over the border and asking for help. And the Lebanese are going, why are you here? Don't you remember what, what you did to us? Well, we remember what you did to us. And so they were unwilling to help. And the only people that were willing to help the refugees – um, at that point, were the Christians, um, but now you have uh, the the Syrian refugees. The population there, almost a third of the population of Lebanon, are Syrian refugees, and so you have this resentment of uh, the refugees because now you have so many Lebanese who are also needing food and shelter and employment and just the same resources that the, the refugees were needing. And the, the Lebanese are are basically saying, um, we're citizens of this country. We're rightfully entitled to these resources. What are you going to do to make it different? And that puts ministries like Heart for Lebanon, Triumph Mercy, Horizons International between a rock and a hard place because um, they have been responding to the needs in the refugee camps uh, all along, as well as to the needs of the Lebanese all along. So it's unlikely that what they're going to be doing is going to be directly affected by the situation. But they're just saying this could complicate a lot of, uh, of the projects that they're doing because it's another hoop to jump through. So be praying for the ministries that are working in Lebanon. I wish I could say, you know, hey, it's great there now. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's it's just continuously facing struggles uh, one after another, and really nothing surprises us anymore with very, like, no elected government, and, and you've got a caretaker government in place with an ongoing um, energy crisis, ongoing employment crisis, so it's economic just all of these things. I think the good thing that we can say here is that these crises um, have really opened the door for deep searching. And people are asking some very hard questions that they didn't used to ask. So now you see the ministries that uh, part of the the message that they would have as they were meeting physical needs uh, was the hope of the gospel. And a lot of times Lebanon, the Lebanese would be saying, hey, I don't need anything from you. So you know, I don't need to hear your message. And now they do need to hear something that has hope because there is no other hope. Um, you know, the government won't be fixed. Even if tomorrow you have an entirely new government, it's still not going to be fixed. And so people are asking, what's my purpose? Why am I here? Um, who's who's in charge of everything? Who is the creator? And and they're turning to the Christians because they they're just different. They shine like stars. In a, in a time of darkness. Mm-hmm. 
we talk about darkness, it's, um, you know, Lebanon has these uh, energy issues and, and blackouts. Um, we were reading yesterday that Pakistan um, has cut power nationwide in the midst of an economic crisis there. When people are plunged into, like, actual darkness, conversations about spiritual things um, are somehow, like, you know, as you're pointing out here, Ruth, somehow easier to have. Like, actual physical darkness makes it possible for us to have conversations about the one who is the light of the world and to um, and to shine brightly in the midst of uh, very, very dark days. Um, let's be praying for the people of Lebanon and for the ministries on the ground there, even as we do so for ministries around the globe. Um, let's look uh, to India. You have um, a couple of articles here at missionnews.org um, to highlight. The world is really overlooking persecution in India. Um, I, I think in part, Ruth, because we're so overwhelmed by news of persecution and it's hard for us, um, you know, to stay genuinely focused on um, on countries of particular concern for very long. So help help us bring the issues in India into particular view here. Yeah, you know, again, uh, unfortunately, I think we're not paying as close attention to what's happening in India because persecution is an everyday thing. Uh, you know, if you um, uh, just took a steady diet of every ministry that's in India uh, reporting some issue of actual persecution, that's all you would have. I mean, it, you'd have more than one incident every single day. And mm-hmm. ministries like Mission India and World Mission that are actively engaged in these countries um, are seeing that it's very difficult to keep people um, engaged because it's just so common to be persecuted uh, if you're a ministry, to be persecuted if you're a Christian or you're a church leader. Um, and and I think what we're seeing too is that organizations are realizing that uh, we still have to maintain an awareness because it's likely to increase this year from the Hindu extremist group. Um, um, Release International is one of the organizations that's basically saying, don't grow weary in 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 prayer don't grow weary in paying attention to what's happening to our brothers and sisters in Christ because this is going to continue we're seeing the trend of more states passing anti-conversion laws i think karnataka was the most recent state to pass an anti-conversion law in the fall and now there's been uh increased discussion on implementing a national anti-conversion law so you have i think 9 or 10 states within india that now have anti-conversion laws that are active on the books, and some are more um, stiff than others. But now you're talking about a national law on top of all of that. Um, This is a situation where we just want to remind people to continue to pray because, um, you know, it's not uncommon to have hundreds of attacks against believers, and yet they're not being silenced, and yet uh, they aren't being intimidated away from the mission, which is to share the good news of Jesus Christ, which is to continue to bring the hope uh, of Christ to the children, to the families, provide services, um, to empower the local church to be the hands and feet of Christ on the ground in some very difficult places. Um, I think one thing that uh, we do hear commonly is that the leaders and believers in India um, are basically saying, don't forget us. Hold our leaders accountable um, um, and don't forget us. Continue to pray that we'll be bold and that we won't be silent. 
Yeah, it's interesting um, how far behind, um, like, the secular press is. Uh, if you were to Google anti-conversion laws in India, um, you know, you're going you're gonna to hear from secular sources that nine states in India have these anti-conversion laws. But if you look to Christian sources, like, let's say, Open Doors um, UK, uh, you're going to read that 11 states now uh, have anti-conversion laws. Um, and, and, you know, we're not, I think that part of the conversation here is about coercion and the, um, uh, this forced conversion or reconversion to Hinduism as well. And so I just, these are such complex conversations to have. Um, and so if you guys want really good resources, missionnews.org is covering these stories and many, many more. We're going to continue our conversation um, with Ruth Kramer here in just a moment. We're going to pivot our attention to Africa and particularly to what is happening to our brothers and sisters in Christ in the DRC, in the Congo. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. Um, Ruth, take us um, to a church in the DRC. Um, take us into the life of our Christian brothers and sisters in the Congo and tell us what happened. We can, most of us, go to church on Sunday and not worry about being attacked, not worry about someone leaving an IED somewhere on the church grounds because they hate us because of our faith. Um, we don't know what it's like to take our lives into our own hands when we walk through the doors of our church to worship God together corporately. And this is becoming a fairly regular happenstance in a lot of the places that we're talking about. January 15th, this situation occurred at a Pentecostal church in uh, in North Kivu area in uh, Kisundi. And um, honestly, the reason why we're talking about it is because we didn't see very many other people talking about it. It seems pretty significant to me that an ISIS-based group could drop off an IED at a church on Sunday and um, blow up, blow it up and really barely make a blip on the international radar. Um, in this case, the attack killed 17 people and wounded 39. There were 200 orphans that have been um, uh, left to be cared for as a result of this attack. Um, this is fairly significant in terms of what is happening. It's sort of a, a, a picture of the changes that are occurring in DRC right now. Um, it's while the country is really considered um, a Christian majority population, it, you, what you see along the east side of the nation where it shares a border with Uganda is more and more the extremists from the um, allied democratic forces, the ADF, are starting to make inroads. 
and they're crossing over and you know darting it's sort of like guerrilla warfare right along the border of the country and the the threat of the adf is because they're backed by the islamic state they have very close connections to that and so they're not going to be stopping what they're doing in the near future because what they want to do is create a caliphate and uh, really make everybody live under a very strict definition of sharia law um, so we're expecting to see more stories like this uh, for people who are living in the eastern part of the country. Um, extremism is working its way uh, across Africa, and it's actually starting to trickle into more of the southern uh, part of the continent. So this is something that our partners are asking us to pray about, to continue to remember the brothers and sisters in Christ who are in ministry, those who are practicing their faith and living out their faith. Uh, while it wouldn't ordinarily seem like, you know, uh, it'd be a, a threatening kind of place with a majority Christian population, um, these extremists are targeting Christian ministries, they're targeting Christian women and uh, um uh, believers who have come from a Muslim background specifically, and they are going to try to be making a name for themselves uh, so that they get the attention and more resources from the Islamic State. Again, all we can say is keep praying for those ministries involved, because even if there are ministries who are working in DRC on the other side of the country, um, this kind of thing it doesn't stay in one place. It's going to be affecting them in the near future, and they know it. So they're they're asking us to join us in prayer. Um, we're going to be praying. Um, the other thing that we're being asked to do is to pay attention. I know there is um, a temptation to avert your eyes and to pay attention to other things, but um, let's give our attention today to our Christian brothers and sisters, um, particularly these new believers, people who have rejected Islam, chosen to follow Christ. Their school prospects, their job prospects, um, their familial relationships in many cases um, don't just dissolve. They become actively hostile. Uh, and so um, let's be let's be recognizing that we're going to spend eternity together and they're going to know that we knew. They're going to know that we knew um, what they were facing in these days. And so let's be ardently praying for them and supporting those ministries on the ground um, in, in places like the DRC. Let's um let's get an update on the uh missionary aviation pilot um who's being uh held captive in Mozambique. Um why like you you had an opportunity to interview Annabelle um Ryan Coer's wife. We'd love to hear about that. And then maybe why you think this case is getting so little public attention. I wish I could answer that second question first. I I really don't know. All I can say is um, contact your congressman and let them know that you're watching this case. You want them to be actively involved and speaking up on, on Ryan Coer's behalf um, because more pressure would be good to, to let uh, the different governments know that we are watching this kind of thing, that we are speaking up on their behalf, that they're not going to just disappear without notice. Um, Annabelle, you know, really when we had the opportunity to talk to his wife, um, her, her, her attitude is so encouraging. Um, she's asking us, obviously, to continue to pray for him, um, that he would have peace and comfort while he's still alone in the jail cell. The 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 shift uh, in the isolation has been encouraging. So he's not always by himself now. He's been allowed to be in some of the general population. He was allowed to attend a church service and, in fact, got to speak a little bit at the church service. Um, his his attitude 
while behind bars has been impressive and noteworthy. The the um, the uh, country director for uh, MAF had an opportunity to go in and speak with some other jail officials and some of the guards, and he kept hearing over and over and over how impressed the prison staff were with Ryan and with his attitude and with his faith and the the impact that he's having for Christ while he's behind bars. Um, mm-hmm. This is an awesome opportunity that nobody knew was going to happen for him. And Annabelle's asking us to continue to pray that that he speaks truth, that his faith remains strong, that he feels the comfort uh, of of the Lord, that he knows that he hasn't been forgotten that um, he will continue to deepen his relationship uh, in, in his faith with the Lord, um, and that God would open up more ministry opportunities while he's detained. Obviously, they want to pray that he'll be released soon and that he'll be reunited, reunited with his family in the U.S. soon. Um, where that is, I don't really know because uh, the updates have been fairly slow in coming just because I think the prosecutor is still building the case against him. Um, as of the 23rd, the uh, MAF says that um, there's a lengthy investigation that needs to be completed at this point. Prosecutors preparing to refer the case to the criminal investigation judge to decide on the release, whether or not they're going to allow bail or allow him to leave jail altogether. So continue to pray and honestly make some noise about this. Um, I think sometimes governments will try something like this just to see what they can if if anybody notices. Um, and we've got to let them know that we do notice, that we are praying, that we are aware. Contact your congressman. Continue to support through MAF. There are some opportunities um, through links at our website where you can actually contact the ministry and also um, just get the latest updates. So if you're in or around Washington, D.C., uh, and you'd just be willing to just go and uh, stand at the uh, embassy of the Republic of Mozambique and um, and beat on the gate, um, that is what Frank Wolf told me uh, gets the most action when a person is detained abroad um, because that embassy doesn't want that kind of uh, coverage. They don't want that happening uh, right there on the streets of Washington, D.C. So I don't know if you're in the Washington, D.C. area and you're willing to go put some feet to your faith today and stand and pray um, in front of the Mozambique embassy. You know, there you go. That's something you could do today in addition to contacting your member of Congress on behalf of our brother, Ryan Coer. Uh, The links will be in today's show notes. Ruth, as always, um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You can connect with all of the stories and so much more at missionnews.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right. Uh, yeah, for those of you looking for contact information, it's all going to be in the show notes today, both for your member of Congress and for... Uh, the permanent mission to the UN of Mozambique and the embassy of Mozambique, because, you know, I'm here to help. All right. uh, We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.